0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle and Grind podcast. My name is Jason Hartwell from J.K. Blades, and I'm here in the Peach Podcast Syndicate studio with my big homie, Mr. Ryan Coakley from Ryan Chadbourne Knife Works. And we got a special guest in the house with us today, a last-minute guest, and uh, it's going to be a fun day. We got Mr. Richard Beck in the house with us today. Beck's Armory, what's up, buddy?
1: Hey, not much.
0: Thanks for coming on. Glad to be part of the show. Yeah, thanks for coming on, dude. Uh, Before we get started, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. Um, Jason's retarded. So last week we put out an episode and, man, we got more messages about that one episode being screwed up than I've gotten combined on all (laughs) other episodes in the last year that this thing's been going. Um, I had to have gotten well over 100 messages and people saying, hey, man, in case no one's let you know, thank you guys for letting me know. And me. Yeah. For sure. I muted myself. (laughs) And I knew it was muted, but Ryan could still hear me, so you know, I figured we're good to go. Turns out that was not the case. That's the bizarre part because normally
2: when we mute ourselves on here, you can't hear us. That's the whole point. It's like a cough button. So if you got a cough or your dogs are barking or whatever, you can hit mute. Mm -hmm. I could still hear we were having a conversation.
0: You know what I think happened is I may have hit record on the Zencaster program, so that was actually picking up audio and you were hearing me through there because I muted myself on the board. So, Uh, But just like that day that me and you went for an hour and a half and I recorded seven seconds because I didn't realize I hit that button, remember? mm -hmm. Since then, I regularly look over at that record light to make sure it's on. So, guys, I can guarantee you that from here on out, I will regularly be looking at that red mute light to make sure that it's not on too.
2: Yeah, listeners don't know, there was an entire episode that was a really good episode that nobody will get to hear.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and dude, that one was fun, too. Yeah, the one that we did for record. me uh, bragging about our lack of technical difficulties. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think we've hit all the snags now, so we're going to work them out and keep on trucking. So before we got going, um, me and Richard and Ryan were kind of chit-chatting about different stuff and figured we were on a good topic, so let's hit record and go. We we're recovering some of Richard's products that, you know, obviously you make grinders, you've got the, uh, yeah. the BA shredder. And, um, that's the grinder kit that you manufacture yourself, but you've got other products too. I've got your forge burners and man, let me tell you, I've even showed those burners to people that don't even know what they are. And I'm like, yeah, my buddy Richard made these, you know, just like friends in town that come by the shop and they're looking at them like, Somebody made that? You know, it looks like it came out of a manufacturing plant. I mean, this stuff is precision made. It is on point.
1: I spent a lot of time you know, like refining those burners. I started selling them at the very beginning of uh, Beck's Armory. I started out selling uh, reloading supplies, um, but then the market tanked and it couldn't. You know, I was underwater because the prices dropped so fast. Um, so I switched over to forges. So I sold forges and forge burners, trying to get my name out there. Um, and so that was primarily what I did for a while. Was a forge burner. So I, I've been perfecting those things over years and years, but I'm getting to the point where Um, those forge burners take so much labor and there's so much competition on like you know in YouTube videos showing people how to make them on a drill press that the consumers just really didn't value the precision and so it's like it drove the prices of forge burners just really really low and there's a lot of labor so I had all this inventory and I said I'm gonna make another push and I built 30 of them and um So I don't know how much longer I'm going to make those. I mean, I've got 30 of them left, um, but it's, it's a challenge to make them just because it'd be like making a handmade knife and selling it for like, you know, 50 bucks or something. You know, it takes really long. Like I can build an entire BA shredder in the time it takes me to make one of those burners because there's so many different setups because you know you're punching holes you're rotating punching holes turning parts on the lathe by hand um drilling tapping threading welding painting um it's a pretty extensive process that goes into those so but that's the burners um like you said i make uh belt grinders diy plans um belt sanders like a disc sander mark mark vanderwerf and i teamed up to to come up with a disc sander but Overall, I'm just trying to bring professional-grade products to the DIY world because um, my day job, um, that's what I do. I design custom machines um, for a living. So this is my side hustle, uh, Bex Armory.
0: <laughs> and uh, So what are you selling those burners for?
1: I think I sell them for like 45 Bucks. It's, <laughs> I almost don't, I don't know if that's, it's 45 or 35 somewhere in there. Um, I used to sell them with the regulator. But honestly, I literally buy the regulator from Amazon, ship it to me, and then ship it out. So it wastes money to do it that way. So I put a link on the website where you buy the burner so you can get your own um, regulator. But a lot of people don't want to do that. They just, in turn, don't buy it. Um, they buy them a lot faster when I sell it together, but
0: right.
1: it costs them more money because I'm paid shipping twice. But,
0: Well, guys, if you've got any plans in the future to build a forge or maybe your current forge is starting to get a little shitty like mine was doing, go ahead and pick those burners up because, man, I'm telling you, they are the real deal. Um, I built my new forge with two of your burners, and honestly, I don't think I'm going to be needing but one. I mean, they are legit.
1: They were really hot. Um, when I did the yeah. math on it, it should be 75,000 BTUs each at 20 PSI. And you can run them Damn. up to 40 PSI. Um, I've, I've melted copper um, with a single burner at 30 PSI. Um, and copper melts a stupid high rate. I forget the number off my top of my head where it melts, but yeah, I've melted and poured copper with a Venturi burner, which most of the time people use the forced air burners for those. So I do have them perfected, but I'm just like, man, I've got 30 left. I don't know that I'll ever make more once those are gone. Um, it's kind of like a liquidation sale. I thought about just putting them on eBay with no reserve, um, but I think I'll hold on to them um, and just kind of keep them on the shelf. And when guys want them, you know, sell them.
0: yeah, they're definitely worth it for sure. And, uh, I, you know, I watched the videos and at one point in time I tried to make my own burners, going to Lowe's and getting the the black iron pipe, you know, with the T and then the bell and tapping, putting the the welding tip in by the time you spend all that money on all those pipe fittings and all that stuff, you know, and at the time I didn't even have a tap. So I went and bought a tap. It mm-hmm. could have just bought a good burner. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean,
1: literally, and the only only reason I'm able to make a profit at all is because I buy in bulk. Like, I buy 30 fittings at a time, 30, like, everything's bought in bulk. I cut my own tubes, thread my own tubes. Um, Otherwise, you know, I'd lose my, you know, it wouldn't be worth it. So. I, don't know, I, I can't tell you how many times at gun shows I sit there at a table and everybody comes up, well, oh, I can make that. That's just plumbing parts, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm like, okay, go ahead. You know, yeah, I'm, do it. you're not going to get the consistency, um, but fine.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Well, Ryan, what's uh, been going on with you this week? First, uh, uh, now this is your second full week on your job, right?
2: Yeah, midway through the second week. Yeah, how you liking it? It's good. I mean, working with family, you know. Uh, That can be good or bad. Yeah. Small (laughs) engines are rolling in slowly. So in my downtime, I've been working out back in the automotive half in the shop, and my body's not used to it. Truck tires are heavy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. A lot heavier
2: than a lawnmower tire, huh? (laughs) Yeah, but I need to lose some weight anyway, so it doesn't matter. But, yeah, it's good. I like it. It's a much cleaner shop uh my my previous employer, the shop is like filthy. I mean the volume they do is it's one of the biggest shops in the state, and my bay was like twelve feet by twelve feet, you know with a hundred chainsaws, a hundred trimmers, twenty backpack blowers, a lift, my bench, you know what I mean so
0: waste waste oil barrels there wasn't much room, yeah but well, When it's you first good. said twelve by twelve, I'm thinking like that's a lot of space to work on a lawnmower. But if you've got a hundred of them in that same little spot, that's not much room. All the handheld
2: everything <laughs> was in the it was in my bay, so it was pretty tight. Yeah. Um, now I have two full car bays. Oh, nice! Yeah, plenty of plenty of space. Um, but back onto Richard, I actually have so I have the Brian House Revolution Grinder right now, and after I built it, I had tracking issues so bad, you know, like belts not riding where I want them to ride or you tilt, you know, whatever axis is the horizontal axis upwards or downwards and the belt wouldn't move. Um, couldn't go reverse. And I bought Richard's tracking upgrade for the revolution and it was a game changer. It was unbelievable. Um, it, it literally took me like, I'd say maybe an hour at the most to uh assemble it weld it
0: all together get it on the machine and get it tracking yeah i bought the plans for that i don't know where they're at or what to ever do with it because i bought the plans to enter one of richard's raffles <laughs> which was totally worth it because you know if i come up with the situation where i need that upgrade right now i don't even have the reverse switch in my grinder so my tracking yeah. does just fine you know as it is for now but it's good to know that i have that you know if i end up needing yeah, it. it
1: does it's nice to be able to tune it you know while it's running i find that makes it really easy to uh you know just get it dialed in quickly right. um you know his current setup is multi-axis but it's just it doesn't have the extra screw um and i think we got a good thing going um because it It's a great add-on to the revolution, and, um, you know, he doesn't have to, you know, increase the offering of his kit and raise his price, and he can just keep selling it at that price, and, you know, people can buy the upgrade if they want. It pretty much, like, the nice thing about our grinders is the offset basically ended up the same without us even ever talking about it, (laughs) which is crazy because, like, the first guy or two that bought it, I was like, all right, you might need a special, you know, length axle, and we might have to shim it one way or the other to get this thing to line up. And he bought it, and he put it on, and we come to find out, like, Brian and I have the same center line on our grinders. Um, so that made it even better. It just It's literally that much easier to integrate. And just today I saw somebody who took their, uh, their Gen 4 handle that, that comes on your, your, with your Revolution kit, and they moved it uh, 90 degrees and mounted to the side of the tube, Kind of like how the shredder is. And that, I I think that's a great idea. Because some guys ask me, like, what do I do? You know, because the Gen 4's got that handle right there. And you could literally double stack my bracket and his handle and just transfer the hole. Or you could rotate it 90, um, like I saw today. And I I really like that. Um, I think it's a great option.
2: That's super cool. The thing I like about your tracking setup is, like, like, um, I love my Revolution. I mean, that is, like... If my garage burned down, I know that that machine is still going to be there usable probably because it's just so robust. Uh, But with his tracking, you have to crack the nut and then physically move the arm by hand and then tighten the nut. On yours, it's a knob. So, like, I I like to do a lot of swooping plunges, so you got to hang the belt over. It's Mm. so easy to just turn that front knob a couple of turns you know, cause if you turn it clockwise, the belt goes to the right, you turn it counterclockwise, it goes to the left and you can, it's so easy to get accurate with how far your belts over the platen, you know, it's just yeah. really, it's really fast and smooth.
1: And I feel like it's really natural because when you turn that direction, it's like a steering wheel on a car. When you turn that direction, it goes that direction. When you turn the other direction, it goes the other direction. So it's really intuitive, um, which really helps guys get their stuff tracking quickly, um, just be- because of that, um, so yeah, it's it's picking up. That's for sure. I have to keep like making extra tracking systems. I used to have like I buy twenty BA Shredder kits, and I'd have twenty tracking kits. But now I have to constantly keep remaking the tracking because guys are buying that kit uh, to put on their Revolution. So it's it's starting to pick up. So that's that's yeah. good.
0: Yeah, it's real good.
2: So how would you get hooked up with Mark Vanderwerf to do the BA uh Vander? Sander?
1: Um so back in the day like at some point I became friends with him I don't remember when um and I was I was watching his uh his original Vander Sander progress and uh he kind of contacted me and you know we were kind of tossing around some ideas and uh he wanted to come up with the next generation right? So he was asking me, you know, for input and stuff. And I decided, you know what, let's just do this together and um, work out a deal. And I was like, I will design you from the ground up a standalone product. I'll try my best to make it look as good as we can make it look. And, you know, when you sell them over there, you know, you give me a little piece of the pie. When I sell them over here, I'll give you a little piece of the pie, you know, the guy who builds it and sells it gets most of it, and the other guy just gets you know a small portion. So we worked out a good deal, and uh, he's a really great guy. It, you know, super, I felt like I could trust him. You know, and you know we got a deal and a handshake, and it's you know he's a he's a he's a stand up guy. It's all I can say about Mark. A really great guy, and uh, so things have been you know really nice. And so now we started doing the the BH. VH- Treder in, in the UK so uh, basically I take the orders and I send them to him and he uh, makes them there locally because it's a fortune if you want to ship something from America to the UK yeah um, yeah I found it's like impossible to cross the border with a product outside of the United States it's I don't know how it is that everybody can ship stuff in here and compete uh, but you can't ship it the other way I mean it's a fortune so yeah bummer but
0: <laughs> yeah, Mark really looked at getting Mark. some uh, yeah, he's an awesome guy for sure. Yeah. He was looking at getting some stencils made. And uh, someone suggested, you know, my pawn shop guy, the woody wax guy. And I was like, I don't know, dude. You know, we can check on it and see. But I mean, just the shipping was gonna be I want it was close to a hundred dollars. I mean, for paper. You know what I mean? Essentially that's all it is. Yeah. I mean it's just Is that is that the UK specifically? Yeah, that was to his address. We actually had to get his physical address to type it into the thing, you know, and get an exact shipping charge. Yeah, because I know it's like
2: uh, they put import taxes on stuff, so it's super expensive to ship anything to Australia. But, like, I shipped Theodore the Maker, and I did a sticker swap, and I sent him some chunks of that micarta. And it was like, so I sent him – I think it was a flat rate box, and it was like twenty nine bucks, and that was to yeah. Australia. That was to Sweden. Oh wow, that's not that bad though, really, because I mean that's a long ways across that pond. Yeah, I mean uh, Mike Jones, that raffle knife that was twenty six bucks, but I sent it
0: uh, first class because it was light. That's a real good deal. I looked at yeah. sending a T shirt to Canada, and it was. Almost 30 bucks. 26 bucks, I think, is what it was. I was expecting double that. And when he said he was like 29 bucks or whatever it was, and I was like, oh, I and like that. What's funny is I get a lot of uh, handle material from the Muskoka Turner up there in Canada, John Bryant. And it's free shipping. Like, he can send this way for free. And his handle material is only like How is that? 32 that $35. I mean, it's standard, stabilized material price. So you know he's not just like... Upcharging his material and then calling it free shipping—it's actually free shipping. Yeah, I'm sure I it feel probably like costs them a, a little bit. It, yeah, it is. <laughs> it kind of seems that way. I got a quote
1: to ship a BA shredder mega kit, just the kit, not a full grinder, just the kit in a single box, and it was thousand bucks just for um, shipping. It's a, it's a fifty-eight pound box, and the best problem with my product—it's all heavy. Like I can't ship fifty-eight pounds anywhere outside America without. It'd be a fortune, so I'm kind of landlocked. Right. Only way Nick got his was he's got a he's got a guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's got a mail address. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. And I've had a couple Canadians use a, a a mail forwarding company. It basically it gives them an American address that they can use, and then it ships it. it you, you ship it somewhere to New York, and then they take care of the rest. So they pay whatever they need to pay, but you know it's the standard shipping charge for me so i don't know what kind of upsell that is but i think that's the only way you can get stuff into canada but i think a lot of guys don't trust that that i've only had one customer use it it worked great for him but
0: that seems like a genius business idea someone in new york had like hey canada people ship your stuff here give me 20 bucks i'll throw it in the back of my truck and i'll cross the border with it
1: (laughs) yeah i don't know how he does it but yeah that's a, they got a website. It's like myusaaddress.ca or something like that. And it, it basically, you use their address, and they get it to you.
0: Like a parts wheel. Yeah, even
1: on Nick stuff, he had to pay extra, like, uh, uh, what do they call it, uh, uh, import fees on that.
0: Yeah, duties so I and put On the outside of the
1: box, the value and everything. I felt a little worried putting the value on the outside of the box. I'm like, well, okay, whatever. <laughs> but that's so how we had to do it.
0: Yeah, I've always lied on that big time. I send a knife to Canada. They're like, well, how much is this worth? I'm like, $25. Me too. I put five bucks on Mike Jones's knife. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no reason to open this. It's worth 20 bucks. Like, just throw it on the truck and keep moving. Yeah. What else did you have to go over, Jason? Oh, man. I had a pretty eventful week, man. I had a fun week. And, uh... Not a whole lot of nice stuff But I went to the NASCAR race this past Sunday Had a freaking blast up there um, I'm currently In an all out war With a family of raccoons So in our front yard we've got Like eight different bird feeders You know, We've got the liquid for the hummingbirds We've got regular bird food We've got the corn cob things for the squirrels We've got these little things that are called suet blocks And it looks like It's about the size of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich It's just this cakey crap
1: It It looks like
0: lard mixed with bird seed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we put it in these little feeders. Well, we noticed that these birds are getting real freaking hungry. Like, they're eating fast. But we're not seeing those many birds. Like, how are they eating that much? So we pulled up the cameras. We've got three raccoons that every night are swarming our front yard and just ransacking every feeder that we've got out there. And it's war. So the other night I woke up and I grabbed a 22. I'm like, okay, I'm just fixing to pop one of them, scare the shit out of the other ones, and, you know, make an example out of his little ass. Well, not even thinking, I turned the porch light on while I was looking out the window. It didn't phase them a bit. Like they, mm-hmm. they, they didn't even know the light was on. So it's like, okay, sweet. Well, I didn't think this through. When I opened up the door, they looked towards me and kind of got a little nervous or whatever, but they, they didn't take off right away. So I opened it enough to where I could get get my gun up and look through the scope. I was right under the porch light. So the glare on the scope, I couldn't even see through it. So thinking they're just dumb, I took another step out. By then, they just scattered. And it's, you know, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I wasn't going to go popping off a whole bunch of rounds, you know, (laughs) trying to hit them on the run. Raccoons are brutal. They suck. You should muckle a hold of one of them bastards. Dude, they killed our chickens last year. Oh yeah. They rip the chickens through the chicken wire on the on the pen. We get some yeah, big fucking raccoons here. Yeah, I hate those jokers, dude. They're useless. You know what I mean? Like what's the point of a raccoon?
2: My wife likes bird feeders too, but we don't get any raccoons, not in my yard. not yet anyways. Yeah. They're they're yeah. bad. We
1: we get massive infestation of raccoons. I we live kind of like in the woods mm-hmm. and uh there was one season I took out 13 of them in like 2 weeks. Damn. Um I would just, my wife comes home at like midnight um, and I'd be like, you know, just getting ready to go to bed. So it was what we'd do. We'd sneak out in the backyard. She'd have the spotlight. We'd just go over to the mulberry tree and shine it up there. And you just look for the two glowing dots and you put your scope right between the glowing dots and, yep. <laughs> but yeah, they were, they were literally almost ripping our feeders like off the wires. Um, we figured it out because one night it sounded like somebody was knocking on our window and I'm like, what kind of creeper is knocking on my window at midnight? And so we flip the lights on, and the bird feeder banging into the window. And uh, yeah, so every spring, it's it's a war.
0: Wow. Yeah, I'm. I just I can't see an explanation for them existing. You know, I mean, they're known as trash pandas. They tear things up. Them dumb some bitches. They got into my weed killer. Like they ate a hole in the <laughs> bottom of the weed killer bag. And I guess that just fired them up. It didn't kill them because they're just still going strong. But um, in other knife news, so, you know, I did that raffle a while back, a couple weeks ago. The guy who won it, he's got a full kitchen set from me, and he's got one of two of a particular design that I've made. It's the, it's a very drastically swooped-shaped knife. So it's got a very drastic belly, and it comes up to a point and then the handle kind of curves back. So if you look at it, it almost looks like a, the shape of an S. And I've only made two of those, and they both were with sets. And both people that have them say that that's their favorite knife in the world. It's the most versatile thing ever. You know, they just they love it more than anything. So he wanted to, to build your own knife. He wants that same knife, but he wants it to where he can carry it daily, like an EDC. So what I'm thinking... Is obviously it's very thin stock for a kitchen knife. I think I'm going to do eighth inch stock, you know, get it beefier and put a hollow grind in it. Because, like I said, it's got such a belly on it. Doing a full flat grind, I'm not going to have much of a bevel out there towards the tip. You know what I mean? I think that that would just kind of wash it off. So, I think I'm going to try to do a hollow grind, put some file work in it, you know, sexy it up a little bit. What do you guys think about turning a kitchen knife into an EDC? Do it up. Why not? <laughs> Sounds
1: complicated to me, but I'm not a pro like <laughs> a, a knife maker. Yeah, I mean, I don't well, see only one way to find
0: work. out, right? Exactly. I mean. And if I screw it up, hell, I'll put it in my kitchen to see what all the hype's about. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Right so I was, um, speaking of getting ready to build a knife, I was on com the other day, looking up some liners and, you know, just some odds and ends stuff I needed for the shop. And, you know, when you go on a website like that, it's one of those you could get anything you want, you know, from tools, handle material, steel, liners, sandpaper, whatever you need. Well, I just happened to be browsing and a picture of one of those knife kits came up, you know, where it's already sharpened, already got the bevels, you know, it's just cut out, ready to go. It might not already be sharpened, but, you know, the, the knife's essentially finished. You slap a handle on there and you call it good. You're talking about the blanks that they sell? Right, right. Yeah. So it's already shaped, but they call it a knife kit because like, I think it comes with, you know, a couple of pins and a little block of wood or whatever. The particular one that I looked at. Well, my bad guys. Um, but the, the one that I looked at, they were calling it a kit because of that. So that got me to thinking at what point, and I know this is like beating a dead horse type deal because I've heard it other places, but I'm just curious what you guys think. At what point does a custom knife become uncustom and even past that, if you're a custom knife maker but you're kind of subbing out all the skilled parts and you're just slapping a handle on something, are you still a knife maker or are you starting to cross the line into, like, a a manufacturing business or, like, a a supplier type deal? You know what I mean? I
2: think that would make you a knife assembler. Right. Just uh, a... Yeah, I mean, when I think maker, I think you get a raw bar of steel, you figure out a way to make that steel the shape of a knife, you figure out a way to heat treat and temper that knife so that it's not a piece of shit, and (laughs) then you put in your own bevels, you put on your own handle. That's, in my mind, what a maker is, or a craftsman. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like buying a blank off Jants or whatever, slapping a handle on it, is like the knife-making equivalent to buying those boat kits at Lowe's for the little kids, you know what I mean? Like, you're not... You're assembling something, you're not coming up with the design, coming up with the measurements, cutting it all out, making it fit together. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense,
0: or am I just rambling? I completely agree. It's one of them things that you can go to Walmart and buy a knife, right? A, a sharp knife, a very sharp knife. For you can get a pretty good one, twenty bucks, twenty five bucks. Now the sh- the steel might be shit; it might not last very long. But you could resharpen it, and it might hold an edge for a little bit. But when you go and you buy a knife like that, you're buying it because you just need a sharp thing, right? So if someone who is a knife maker is trying to match that price point or at least get closer to it. And that's their goal is to match a certain price point. Why, why would a customer choose to, you know, get a blade that someone else stamped a name into just because it comes from that person.
2: Yeah. I, I, there's ways to hit price points without, without doing that. You know what I mean? Don't do a compound grind, do a full flat grind. Don't use exotic handle materials. You know what I mean? Use some basic maple or whatever. Right. Um, don't do any file work. Don't use Damascus, whatever. There's cheap knife steels out there. You can get a chef knife down to 200 bucks, $250. If you simplify it, you don't have to get do whatever. You know what I mean? No, not just sure. a chef knife, an EDC or whatever. I It takes me way less time. To make a small e d c than it does a full size chef knife that's less time, less money, better price point for the customer right um, but if you want an eight hundred dollar chef knife thousand dollar chef knife, whatever, you know they go all the way up to guys are getting four five six seven grand for their chef knives oh yeah um
0: but they're they're masterpieces yeah that, it's a work of art made it, made with know, their yeah. own hands. <laughs>
1: And that's kind of how I see, like, knives. Like, I'm not a professional maker. I'm I'm a hobby maker as far as knives go. But when I look to buy, like, a custom knife, I'm looking for a piece of art. Uh, I'm not looking for, you know, the highest performance knife in the world. I want something that somebody poured their heart and soul in, their blood, sweat, and tears. It's like a piece of the maker that you're getting. When somebody puts that much time and effort into a knife, it's part of them. Like the knives I've made, you know, when you're done, you're like, this is my masterpiece mm-hmm. and it represents you as a person. And when you buy a custom knife from somebody, that's what you're buying more than anything. Um, because like from my standpoint, being somebody who, you know, does mass, you know, I design automation for people, the people who say, hey, I make this and I want to make a ton more of them. I help them get to that ton more. Right. So I don't know. I think I see it a little bit differently. But you, there are knife steels out there that most knife makers, you know, don't even, don't even know about that are so much better than, you know, the 800-year-old, you know, high-carbon steel. Um, so, I, might, I tend to buy knives more for the art side, not necessarily the performance side. Right. So it wouldn't have near as much value to me if I knew they just did the handle.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine getting a box in the mail and opening it up and being like, "Cool, there's a hundred J.K. blades ready to go." Like, I didn't do that. You know what I mean? I, I There's no way I could let that fly. I couldn't do it every, even though, like, you know how
2: I made, I do the diamond grind guyudos. Oh yeah, and the basic shape is always the same. Mm-hmm. There's differences in every one of my knives. I've never made two knives that were identical. It's impossible when you're doing handmade knives. Exactly. And that's what makes there's, it cool.
0: I mean, I can make a set of six steak knives and you can lay them out and they look pretty close to identical. But if you were to take a pair of calipers and put it on each one, you know, they're going to have different widths at the cross section. You know, it might not be much. They're going to weigh just a little bit different. You know, there's no way to to get that kind of repetitiveness by hand.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But, Richard, like and you I, were saying, you know, that's, that's what goes into it by hand is that maker had it in his hands. So, you know, what if a mosquito bit him on his pinky toe while he's grinding, you know, and that bevel went up just a little higher? Well, obviously, that's easy. We can match it on the other side, right? But mm-hmm. it's, it makes it different than the last knife because that mosquito bit him on the pinky toe. That's a part of that maker, a part of their life, a part of what was going on in their shop at the time that, that goes into that piece. You know, not just opening up a box of, you know, here you go, here's here's some knives. Like
2: that's yeah. like on my knives, I don't use uh, layout fluid. You know how guys will put layout fluid on, they'll scribe their where they want their grind line to end or whatever. I've never the only lines I mark on my knife is the center lines, where the bevel's got to be and then up by the tip and in the finger choil so I can make sure my bevels are even. And other than that, um, cause every time I tried to do that, I, I never hit the goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Either I went past it or I liked how it looked before it. So what's you know, it was a wasted step to me. I, I think every knife that's actually handmade has its own character and its own flaws, you know, sure. and most of the time the customers don't even see the flaws like I'll show somebody one of my knives and I'm like I hate that thing it's a piece of shit and they're like it's beautiful and I'm like no no look at that right there that right there they're like I didn't even know
0: that was there till you pointed it out I'm like oh okay well and subconsciously I see it. they probably don't even realize that they're seeing that but that's part of the allure to them cuz it shows that it is handmade it didn't come off mm-hmm. an assembly line
1: That is part of the value of a handmade knife. I mean, if you wanted to make the highest performance knife, you know, ever made, you could, you know, you could make it out of CPM-9V and you could put it on a five-axis CNC grinder and you could, you know, pool all the knife makers and say what's the best grind and you could literally make a mind-blowingly high-performance knife. But who would buy it, you know? (laughs) I mean, people, it might be better than, you know, just about every handmade knife out there, but, and I got to be careful saying that all my customers are knife makers, (laughs) I don't want to get blackballed by saying, you know, you could manufacture a higher performance knife if you didn't hand make it, but in reality, the science of steel is far beyond the art of steel, but people buy handmade products because of the art factor, it's the maker difference that is the reason why people pay high dollar for handmade knives, not because you know, it's the greatest steel in the world, not because, you know, it has the perfect grind because it was made by a person. That's kind of why I buy them.
0: Right. Yeah. And if you really break it down, I'm sorry, Ron, go ahead. uh, Raise
2: your hand if you've ever been told that the knife is too beautiful to use.
0: Boils my blood. We're all (laughs) three. You're not mine. Yeah.
2: I I hate that shit. I'm like, I'm like, no, I made that for you to use. I want it. If it's carbon steel, I want it to get patinaed from you cutting your fruit and your vegetables with it. You know what I mean? Go beat it up. Like, uh, Bryce Mitchell, the UFC fighter, uh, I sent him a hunting knife and I made it out of 1095. And I told him, I said, this thing is going to patina. It's going to change color. And that color is a character and a sign of every meal that you've prepared with it or every animal that you slaughtered with it because it's a skinner. And, uh, you know, so that's what some people want because it'll develop that kitchen patina if it's a chef knife or its own, like the, you know, blood is acidic, blood will stain a blade. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a hunter, whatever, whatever it is, but yeah, I forgot where I was going with that.
0: It's okay. It's still a cool story though, bro. <laughs> yeah,
1: I agree. Like, all the handmade knives I've bought or won on waffles, they sit on a shelf, and you know, I know like the makers want them to be used, but like, I just, I love the way they look, and I know that, like, I'm afraid to mess them up because are so beautiful. The only one I am I use all the time is I've made a knife kit, like you guys said, off jansen and I really don't value it that much. So I use it all the time, and if it gets destroyed, I don't care. Because um, to me, it doesn't have that value that those handmade knives from the great makers have. I mean, I look at those things, and I'm like, oh, my word, I, lo- I just like them the way they are. Yeah. I'm afraid to damage them, but. Nah, I probably should. I don't want to use
2: them. <laughs> I've started marketing that by offering stands with my knives. So if, like, yeah. if you buy a chef knife, if you want a stand with it so it can sit on your counter all displayed, another yeah. 50, 50 bucks, 75 bucks, whatever you want, um, it, depending on how fancy the stand is. But And it seems to be working because every chef knife I've sold since I started doing that has bought a stand with it. Yeah. Yeah, well, the stands look good. Mm. And there's definitely not very long to put them out. You yeah. know, I mean, it's not much to put one together. Uh, I saw Blade Show Texas. They posted, I can't remember oh. the maker's name. I apologize. I saw it. I um, saw it. <laughs> that magnetic nice stand. That I want to try one of those. so cool, dude. Yeah. I'm like, that's amazing. Did you see that, Richard? I didn't. I shared the post to my stories, I think, but it's basically so you've got an L shaped rack. There's a slot cut in the back of the high spot. And then they put a board with a magnet in it. And so you can tighten a nut on the back of the board to adjust the height on that slot. Sorry, I hit my mic. I know that's probably super loud. And they put a neodymium magnet in the base. And so you adjust the height based on the size of the knife. You leave like a one inch gap on the top of the knife and magnetism will hold the knife. Oh, nice. And it just floats there.
1: That's 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 a really cool idea. So I messaged cool.
2: the guy and I said, "You're a fucking genius, dude." I said, I'm said, i sorry, I'm just letting you know. I'm totally gonna make one of those now. Yeah. What kind of magnet did you use? And he told me, he goes, he goes, I didn't think he'd get that much of a response. And I go, dude, that's you. Who who makes floating chef knife knife stand?
1: Yeah, wow. So you it's a magnet. The of bottom? magnets of all sizes from McMasterCard.com. Com. That's right. Go to get it. Yeah, nice. tons of different sizes, uh, shapes, square, round, uh, whatever. McMaster car. That's where I would go to get the he, neo. You said DM he
2: magnets. used a ninety-five pound pull round magnets.
1: Yeah. There's different grades of neo, but they're all better than the uh, the ceramic, the black magnets uh, mm-hmm. that like that the feel like a stone. The Neo's is way better. It's, it has it's magnet. It's a magnetic flux density is just. A lot more than uh, traditional. I have them all over my shop. Yeah, they're nice. You get a yeah. ton of holding power for such a small package on those.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. Neodymium magnet. Neodymium magnet. It's so sort of. They look like they're chrome covered, mm-hmm. but they're they're super strong. Like I've got some that I hold my templates down with, like the paper templates to trace out on the oh, bars. Yeah, yeah, and they've got to be two millimeters by three millimeter cylinders and it, it's everything I can do to pull them little bastards off the metal
0: so my kids got trying. some magnets that uh, they look like they're chrome covered but they're made to make noise they look like little eggs and you mm-hmm. toss them up in the air and they you know stick to each other and do all this little vibrate and I wonder if that's what kind of magnet that is I bet it is because they're strong they're super strong if you drop they one under the couch it'll stick to the, like the recliner metal under the couch and it's a job to get it out of there Uh, Toro lawnmowers use an electric brake
2: module in their zero-turn mowers, and the indicator inside the box is a neodymium magnet. Husqvarna has computerized carburetors, and if you take a hammer and smash one open, the fuel valve is actuated by a tiny neodymium magnet. This is
1: very, very versatile stuff. They actually machine it all, or it's powdered metal, and then they magnetize it after they've created the shape.
2: That's super cool.
1: We I used to design audio uh, acoustic products for about nine years. So we did a lot of research with Neo, different grades of Neo, and, um, and that sort of stuff. So it all comes from China, Neo. The funny thing is China ripped off one of our products, and they used a really crappy Neo, uh, even though they create all the Neo DM in the world, <laughs> and their product sucked, but... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't know which corners to cut and which not isn't it
2: the higher the number the stronger the magnet
1: i think yeah yeah i think yeah. i don't know what it goes up to i'm a little i've been out of that world for about six years but uh yeah so it's a little
0: foggy i'm sure someone can google it oh yeah if you felt so inclined <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> if you did yep well so uh
2: didn't you just take a vacation richard
1: I did. That's probably why I didn't see your uh, your knife holder you're talking about. I was, like, living under a rock uh, down in Florida. So uh, my sister has a house down there. So we went down there spent about 10 days. It was great. Uh, they had a boat. They took us out on the boat every day. We uh picking up crab pods. My son caught a shark on the last day. Yeah, it, was, nice. it
0: was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, nice. So I'm back to the grind again, you know. Yeah, I was keeping up with your pictures. It looked like you had a blast. It looked like a pretty area that you were in down there. It was beautiful. It was a Siesta Key, so they
1: their house is on the Siesta Key Island, and it's literally like a block from the Siesta Key uh, beach parking lot. So every day we just walk down to the beach. Um, where if you want to get on the island during spring break, it takes like an hour just across the bridge to get on the island. It's so it was we were really fortunate that their house is where it is. Um, yeah, I actually worked for. That sister and brother-in-law for nine years, um, developing all the products that you know uh, made them. uh, Yeah. Anyways, shouldn't go (laughs) down that path. (laughs) Let's just say I designed a ton of products uh, back then. Well, Um, that's good. Did you get a chance to meet up with
2: Brian House?
1: I didn't. Um, I wasn't sure how far away he was. And, you know, I don't want to invite myself places. <laughs> yeah. Just out of the blue and interrupt his workflow and stuff. So oh, I would show up at his shop and be like, yeah, hmm. they'll kind of be like, hey, Mark, I know you've got his address, what? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: like, hey, you, man, man, yeah,
0: how do you operate? Oh. Yeah,
1: yeah. be like, so how's it going?
0: <laughs> he would have put you to work packing yeah. some parts or something. He probably would have put you to work. Yeah. Probably no, Brian's Mar- a great uh, Brian.
1: Brian's a great guy. He and I talk quite often. I, I love the fact that you know we can be competitors and friends at the same time. You know, it's like yep. not very many markets is that possible. Yeah. Um but you know, I think in this community it is. I think that's partially why he's so loved too,
2: because like his design got blatantly ripped off by a supplier that I will not state on the air. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, (laughs) like blatantly ripped off. And he's like, it is what it is. Must've been a good product. (laughs) Like, okay. Can't, can't argue with that. That's great, man. And he's a super nice guy. I've, I've messaged him the dumbest shit that just popped into my head. And I'm like, and he always answers me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's always very polite and he could be like, dude, stop messaging me. Stop asking me stupid questions. You know what I mean? like,
1: And I, I mean, know he gets a, a stupid amount of messages. I can't oh, imagine I'm sure. how many messages. I mean, I think about how many messages I get, and I am, like, super small time compared to, like, you know, his sales numbers. And I'm like, man, that would be overwhelming.
0: Yeah. I was on the he's, Work For It podcast a few weeks ago, man, and it, I hate that he wasn't on there. He just seems like he'd be – well, I met him up at Blade Show in Atlanta, and he's just a really good down-to-earth dude. Didn't you say he was taller than you thought he'd be? He is taller than I thought. I mean, he's not, like, crazy tall. He's taller than me. I'm 5'10". But uh, I don't know why I was just kind of picturing a a little smaller of a guy.
2: I think it's because his camera angle is its always, like, pointing at an angle towards his face. So Could maybe be. he looks smaller on camera. Yeah, maybe. I
0: don't
2: yeah, know. I mean, he's an
0: average, you know, size human. But I'd like to meet <laughs> him someday. <laughs> Like Get your ass down here to Blade Show, dude. That's what you got to do. Him and
2: I are supposed to do a collaboration project. Oh, yeah? What you going to do? Yep. Pizza cutter. Whoa. Nice. He's going to send me some A2 blanks because I wanted to do it out of A2. And I'm going to make a pizza cutter, and I'm going to keep one and send him one. So
0: I've thought about that so many times. How, how are you going to grind a sharp edge on a circle by hand? only thing I can figure is chuck that joker up in a drill and have it well constantly rotating while it's on the belt at a very low speed, obviously. A pizza
2: cutter is not really a sharp, sharp edge. You know, No, what I mean? it's, it's just, not, but it does have a just, bevel. So what I was thinking was I would just do f- shallow 45s or something, and I would drill and tap a hole in my work rest in front of my platen so I could get it perfectly round, mm-hmm. and then I would tilt
0: my platen. Kill okay. my work rest. Bring the platen in, and then just spin it. And let the let your grinder set your angle. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, that would work.
2: That was my idea, anyways. Whether it's going to work, I have no idea. I haven't made a pizza cutter yet. Well,
0: my red. I was actually yeah. more worried with how I was going to do the handle. First thing that comes to my mind is like, uh, you know, putting a bolt through it or something, to where it looks like one of the uh, cut off wheels for a Dremel. Mm-hmm. And then chucking it up in the drill and standing over the grinder, you know <laughs> and <then spinning> around. <laughs> taking the flat spot out of the yeah. notch out of
2: the <clears throat> head, yeah, um because you want it to be dishwasher safe, you know what I mean, you want to be able to dishwash into pizza cutter, they get gross, you know you get you get like cheese and fucking all sorts of shit up around where it pivots on the bowl, you want to be able to put it through a dishwasher, yeah, um yeah, just for sterilization, um, if nothing else. I'm test that micarta that I have, I uh, one of my one-off blades that I, I'm pretty sure I screwed up the heat treat on, but I'm using it in my kitchen. Um, I'm gonna run that through the dishwasher because it's got a micarta handle on it, and uh, see if it holds up in the dishwasher.
1: Yeah, that our uh, uh, G10 is really, I think, good for that.
2: But is G10 dishwasher safe?
1: I think so. It's basically fiberglass. There's so many different grades of it. Um but I mean, it seems like if it was like a resin base or epoxy base type thing it should hold up well. I mean think about they use it on boats and stuff. Yeah,
2: that's true. So um isn't Although my carta
1: are- doesn't have isn't my carta paper based? So if it's not impregnated enough, will it swell? I don't know. Mine's canvas. Oh. That probably would absorb less
2: Moisture. I'm gonna find out because I'm gonna I'm gonna run it through my dishwasher. I was told yeah. that the epoxy will fail, and you'll just hmm. be able to pull you'll just be able to pull the knife apart. But we're gonna I find guess it out. De-
1: I guess it depends. Like when I made some canvas uh, uh, scale material, I took basically a canvas and I went and got the, the marine uh, fiberglass resin yeah. that used to like patch boats, and I used that stuff. I mean that's made for water, and I just laid a strip. I spread it on, laid another strip, spread it on, stacked it, you know, nice and thick. And then I just lightly squeezed two pieces of, I put wax paper on both sides and then kind of squeezed down on the board. And I do not want to squeeze all the, you know, resin out. Um, right. And that's how I did it. And I got to think that that would be, you know, good for moisture. This um, is just-
2: vintage and they were machining bearings for underwater applications out of it. So I think I'm safe. I'm mostly testing the epoxy. Like that holds everything together. You know what I mean? Because I do yeah. hidden tanks. Um, what kind of epoxy are you using? Uh, right now I got seat but that knife was done with G systems. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Or West G flex, West systems, G flex. Right. I've got I like some, the C corp so far. I've, I've I've done two handles in it and it cures a lot faster than that West systems did.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really good stuff. I like it, too. Yeah. Uh, the last stuff that I bought is called De- DevCon. You guys ever heard of that?
2: Uh, you showed me that. You got it off com, right? Uh, Jance. Jance, yeah.
0: It's the only option they have, and it's a 30-minute epoxy. And it is it's good stuff. Like, it is freaking strong. But you don't have a full 30 minutes working time with it. You know what I mean? Like, within, I'd say, seven or eight minutes tops – Like it's starting to turn jelly on you yep, and gets fire hot. I like the West systems. Um, The
2: only complaints I had on it was the stuff I was using. The cure time was like two days. Oh, wow. Like it was, it would bond within a half hour to an hour. But if I didn't wait two days before I tried to grind it, it would gum the shit right out of my belt and, um, but other than that, I mean, the bond and the quality of it was excellent.
0: That stuff's pretty pricey, too, right? I've never used it, but I've heard it's good. But it's, you know. You, it was like 30 bucks for an 8-ounce kit. Oh, that's not bad. So you, so you get two 4-ounce bottles. I mean, it's a little higher than normal other products, but that's not crazy. No. I was kind of under the impression that it was way more than that. But uh, All right, Ryan, while, while I hit my microphone, I'm sorry. While well, you're uh doing your thing there, I don't know what you're doing besides blinding me and Richard. <laughs> oh, sorry guys, <laughs> it's good as long as you stay on the spot. But when that's when you move and the sun comes in behind you, it like <clears throat> boom, it hits real quick before your camera. Kinda. It's like there's a UFO behind me. Yeah, yeah. You got the Holy Grail. Your I pet my dog and then I shoot her away. Your halos back there. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna go through our list of Patreons. Guys, if you want to support the show for as little as one dollar a month, you can go to patreon.com slash I don't know what slash it is, a slash something, but you can search for Hustling Grind Podcast. We're on there. It's got our logo on it. You can't miss it. Uh we got two new patrons this week. That uh I'm sorry, both of you guys. I never got a notification, so I'm seeing it right now that it's new. Normally if you know when someone does that, I'll instantly send them a message and say thank you and um, you know, kind of do that, but I didn't see this until now. But anyway, we'll start at the bottom of the list with the old school pimps. Uh, Donnie Dulevich, KnifeMaterial.at, Jason Moss at Aru Blade Works, Brigham Kendale. He is actually on the list to be a, a guest on the Hustler Grind podcast, probably within the next month or so, month and a half. You know, we'll have to get it logistically worked out. Mark LeBlanc, Mark Vanderwerf. We've heard a little bit about him today over at 118 Blades and Mr. Richard Beck's. Business partner. Uh, next on the list is, oh, well, I'll be damned. Richard Beck. <laughs> Thank you, sir, it's for your world. continued you. support. Uh, Todd Harrington, the T family. Dennis Tyrell. Brad, Brad Troxclair. Zachary Sowell. Maritime Knife Supply. Driver Defense Knives. And our two new ones this week are Noah Bloomberg from Intiat River Forge. And I can't remember this guy's real name. It's Crafty Man Forge. I cannot remember his name to save my life. It's on the tip of my tongue. But uh, uh, hey, we appreciate all of you guys so freaking much. We appreciate it. Um, and like I said, if you want to. Noah won, what was it, third place? Second place in
2: uh, the Gentry Custom Knives Build Off.
0: I think he got third. Third. But either way, dude, like one of our friends actually getting into the finals. That is freaking awesome. I figured Donny Dulevich gonna... got third, didn't he? I don't know.
2: I'm, I'm fairly certain Donnie... it was Donny Dulevich and Noah Bloomberg, and then I didn't
0: know the guy that got first. I was almost kind of convinced in my head that that top three was going to go to, like, you know, some crazy inlaid mammoth tooth 9,000-layer Damascus. You know what I mean? Like, over Yeah, the top. mono
2: steel took it. Yeah.
0: I was that's so happy a, that's to see awesome. that I love that me too. I love that. I'm a purist at heart. Damascus is beautiful there's I mean we all know that it's pretty when it comes to performance and function, it doesn't really do anything extra, and there's a lot of us that you know we can make it's, the same quality of knife without the visual of Damascus because we just don't have the materials or i guess the equipment you know to make Damascus. Mm-hmm. And if you go buy in a bar of Damascus, good God Almighty! Like
2: anybody can correct right. me if I'm wrong, but there, I don't believe that does any performance benefit other than aesthetics. There's not for Damascus.
0: That's the reason I can't
1: see a performance increase. I mean, you're putting you're basically getting a non uniform uh, grain structure in a blade. Because you're taking two different metals, you know,
0: for looks. The way I understand it, they're
1: beautiful. But if I wanted the highest performing knife I could get, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go with that. Yeah. But I, like I said before, I'm not. Most of the time when I buy a knife, it's it's for the art. It's not necessarily for the performance. So, but yeah, if you want performance, you know, mono steel's gonna. We're probably pissing
0: a ton of people off. By saying
1: that. <laughs> that's <laughs> what we're here for. This is the Fleabag yeah,
0: podcast.
1: <laughs> we're gonna get some haters coming out the woodwork. I don't because care. Everybody people. thinks. Everybody thinks like you know, you know, Japanese steel. You know, but that's that was eight hundred years ago when they were making the you know the very first high carbon you know blades back then, and everybody else had you know crap steel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course it was legendary, but that was eight hundred years ago.
0: Um, yeah, there's Ooh, amazing steels out there. We got trucks now. <laughs> yeah, they, they
2: historically were the best blade makers, but we're in a global society now. You know what I mean? We're yeah. not we're not separated from each other anymore, and it's different. <clears throat> but it's the yeah, yeah, the reputation stayed with them, yeah. not just them specifically, but Damascus itself. You know, I mean. They say that there's no true Damascus because it was made in Damascus. And, yeah, Damascus uh, was a rec- town
0: or something like that, right?
2: Yeah, the city, it, or, and the recipe was lost, or whatever they say. But I mean, but yeah. Switching gears, uh, I gotta say something about Phoenix abrasives.
0: Hey, yeah, do that.
2: They are your one-stop shop for all your abrasive needs, and on top of that. So I had said on the last episode, I made a joke about hooking me up with some 36 grit belts so I could try out those, uh, actor rocks, blue belts, the ones that are really expensive. And so I messaged them and I asked them and they sent me a belt. I put it in an order and I asked them on top of the order, will you throw in one of these belts? And they were like, sure. So I'm three blades in on that belt. I'm beating the dog shit out of that belt. And it's holding up you liking it so I mean, far? I'm liking it so far that I am so like when I on a normal belt, I run the VSM red Ferrari belts, just like Jason right and and I have kind of like a process with how I wear my belts out. so when they're fresh, I that's I only do bevels on a fresh belt. you know what I mean and that, but then they get to the point where they're not quite sharp enough for bevels, so then you got to switch. But they're still not worn out. So then you switch to like profiling, breaking the 90s on your edges, things like that. And then, you know, down to removing scale and just fucking them up. <clears throat> on on this Actorox belt, I threw that out the window. So the first thing I did with it fresh, I threw it on the grinder and I started taking the mill scale off a of Timber Tiger Forges Damascus billet that he sent me. Oh, wow. Eating it right up. And then I ground some bevels with it. And then I profiled the blade with it. And then I ground some handle material with it, and it's not even meant for wood. And then I went back to doing some bevels. And then I crammed a piece of steel into it just for fun. And (laughs) it's holding up. I'm honestly super impressed. I would say for $5 more, that belt's worth every fucking penny.
0: Okay. Well, if somebody decides they want to go and get them one or two of them things, is there like a promo code or something you can give them since you like, you know, you got the, the hookup and all. Surely they hooked you up with a promo code to pass on. Well, they hooked the podcast up. Oh, okay. and it's,
2: it's a uh, hustle 10 at checkout. You get 10% off your whole entire order. So, well yeah. You heard it here first guys. Yeah, no, it's an excellent bill. I was super skeptical. I'm cheap, you know, like I got to be careful with my money. And I, uh, so like, you know, for me, I'm like, it's twice the money for the same number of belts. Yeah. You know, cause a, v- a red VSM belts like $8. So I don't know. I'm probably going to start buying them.
1: If you're getting twice the life, you're not losing anything and right. you're actually gaining a lot more efficiency because you're not constantly using a belt. That's half worn. So,
2: yeah. And, and I feel like if I took a fresh red Ferrari belt or a combat abrasive belt, or a Norton blaze belt, I've tried them all. And I jammed a five sixteenths thick piece of Damascus with scale all over it into that belt when they were fresh. I'd be eating the abrasives. You know what I mean? Like they'd spray all over your face. I didn't feel anything come off the belt. Hmm. It just ate right through it. I'm honestly impressed. I'm not even saying that because they sent me one free belt. I'm being 100% truthful. And once I'm done beating the shit out of the belt, I'm going to use it till it's not usable anymore and then I'm going to do a video on everything I did to the belt. Yeah, I was so very to impressed. The point across.
0: To me, it seems like they didn't build up heat as quick as a regular belt does. Nope, they run way cooler. Yeah. Way like that was noticeably drastic. cooler. Right. Yeah.
1: If it's cutting, it shouldn't be building up heat, so that's mm-hmm. that's a good sign that they're not getting hot.
0: Yeah, I noticed that right away. What way. speed do you run them?
1: What why speed go? are you guys
0: running those? Wide open. Yeah,
1: that's how you do it. Yeah. As fast as you can go.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I do my grinder on nine because I get a vibration if I go up to ten. Oh, the tip of my platen vibrates. I sent Jason a video of it, and it only started oh. since I hooked up the three horsepower with the good VFD with the K back VFD um, hmm. and a seven inch wheel. I sw- I switched a bunch of stuff all at once.
0: Yeah, and and you found I'm- that resonant frequency. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a lot of freaking power, dude. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's what I have at
0: home on
1: mine three horsepower. It's, it's nice. Three horsepower, seven-inch wheel. I run it 65 hertz. Um, it gets me, uh, I forget the math, like s- over 7,000 surface feet. And uh, I feel like you really get a lot more life out of your belts if you get them over 7,000 surface feet um, because those abrasives are cutting, not getting worn off. It's um, yeah. like a you know like a, somebody breaking a board with their hand. If you don't swing your hand fast enough, you break your hand. If you swing your hand fast enough, you break the board without hurting your hand. Those abrasives hitting the steel are the same way. If they're not going fast enough, they're going to get chipped off, they're going to get dulled, but if they go fast enough, they just shave the metal right off. So you get more life if you speed the belt up and press into it. But
2: That's 100% true. You were the one that actually convinced me to go with a 7-inch wheel. I, and the difference between my 5-inch wheel and the 7-inch wheel was scary enough that I changed how mm-hmm. I hold my hands while I grind.
0: You needed to do that yeah. anyway.
2: I know I needed to do it anyways. <laughs> but I, I really like the results I was getting, but uh, I'm, like, physically scared to wrap my hands around the platen anymore. I'm like, that thing is moving.
0: Uh, every time yeah. I saw you doing that, I was like, man, Ryan's my friend. I really like his work. <laughs> I want to keep seeing it. He's fixing to lose these fingers. He's going to be done.
2: <laughs> I, mean, I was I was fixing to fuck up the inside web of my thumb at yeah. some point. The belt was going to break and come off and just whoosh, right. You know, yeah. it don't take much. Mm-hmm. Not when they're going that fast. So no, it yeah. was a wise move, I think, to switch up my style. But
1: um, that's the one thing I always push for when guys buy my grinder. I'm like, get a seven inch wheel because I don't want anybody to own a BA shredder that doesn't shred. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, otherwise somebody will buy my grinder, put a four inch wheel on it and I'll be like, this thing sucks. You know, and that's the last thing I want. So I always try to convince somebody, look, if you're going to buy it, definitely try it. go with a seven inch wheel if you can. Otherwise it's not going to perform like I showed you in the video, you know?
0: So after but, we I had, mean, uh, one of our previous podcasts, we were talking about Ryan's seven inch wheel. I was approached by a listener of the podcast, And, you know, my Broadback only has a, I think it's a five inch, four and a half, five, something like that. And I got an explanation as to why that is. And it seems to be something along the way. If you go up that fast, you could lose, lose torque. Does, Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, you don't have as much torque with a
1: 7-inch wheel. Um, I used to run an 8-inch wheel, and I could actually bog down my 3-horsepower motor when I was running that 8-inch drive wheel. But I almost was never pushing that hard, unless I was trying to make a spectacular video with just sparks everywhere. That's the only time I ever pushed that hard, realistically. And also, you know, I'm never running my belt slow, so I'm usually always 100% or 70 percent between there so a lot of guys are like oh but i want torque at a slow speed well at slow speeds you're not pressing hard at least i'm not Uh, so what do you need all the torque for Um, if you're just sharpening a knife and you got the thing turned all the way down or if you have a really fine grit belt because you're doing finishing work you're not pressing hard so why do you need the torque Um, but yeah if you if you don't if you don't have two horsepower or more and you really lay into a seven inch wheel the motor will slow down. Um, but ask yourself, how often are you laying into the wheel, like, with 20, 30, 40 pounds of pressure? Yeah,
2: I don't know. When my VFD was down, I took my three horse off, and I put on my one horse, because I've got a one horse with a K-back. And I could stop the belt at full blast oh. with the one horse. But oh. I would have to try to do it. You know yeah. what I mean? Just regular grinding bevels or profiling. Most of us are running glass platens anyways. So if you put that much pressure on a glass platen, you're going to break it. Yeah, you, you know. You know, and saying. you get
1: less friction with a glass platen, so you can put more pressure um, without, you know, having all as much frictional loss because the backside is going to have less friction against glass than it does against steel. Mm-hmm. So
2: Absolutely, I got to change mine soon. I'm getting like a groove in the middle of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd love to sell grinders with glass platens, but it's like at some point you have to stop and say, "This? Do you really? Will people really want to pay all the extra for all the bells and whistles?" And and the realistic answer is no. But as long as it's compatible and people can add upgrades, I mean, people buy jeeps because they upgrade them. People buy AR-15s because yeah. they can upgrade them. You know, it's like yeah. upgrading is part of the fun. So, you know. I, I started out right. with
2: just a steel one. That would be a preference thing because some guys run hardened steel platens.
1: Yeah, or like those radius ones out of tool steel.
0: Yeah, I need to get one of those. Those would be nice. Those would mm-hmm. be nice for I your mean, Those are
1: expensive because you probably have to machine them. Maybe not. I've not looked at them or seen them. All the sale. ones
2: I've seen were like 300 bucks, and I just can't see yeah. that for a radius plat. I feel like it's, I can make yeah, one out of angle iron. Steel.
0: Yeah. I, I made one out of yeah. angle iron for my 1x30 when I had it. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was as simple as I had a piece. I think it was a six-inch pipe I had out in the yard. And I cut a piece of angle iron. I mean, cut the angle off, obviously, to where I just had a piece of flat steel. And I heated it up and just tapped it over that piece of six-inch pipe. And then I, you know, on a 1x30, it's got a little L-shaped thing that they call a platen anyway. Mm-hmm. I just cut the bottom off of that and tack welded it onto the little bent thing that I just made. And it worked like garbage. but uh, Nice. <laughs> I made it. there you go <laughs> uh, but
2: realistically I mean all these differences in the grinders you know high torque low torque high speed medium speed high horsepower it's all a preference thing and whatever you can afford to build is what you can afford to build if you can only afford to put a one horse on your grinder you're going to learn to make your art with that one horse you know what I mean you're going to know you yeah. can't you can't just hammer the blade into the belt because it's going to slow the motor down, um, which is bad for him anyways. But, um, and, or if you're like me and you're using something that's way overkill, you're going to learn not to hurt yourself (laughs) using a machine that's way more
0: powerful than you actually need it to be.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Ryan, before we wrap this thing up, I got a question for you. So, You um, obviously are a a Hollywood big shot, you know, red carpet invites coming out (laughs) everywhere. And uh, you're putting your knives in the hands of all these big dogs, you know, fighters, people on TV. And that's gotten you a few orders just from, you know, them kind of giving you a shout out type deal. So I've got a handful of people that are here local to me that are celebrity-ish, you know, not like ginormous, but they're, they're famous if I was to reach out to them, you know, to try to convince them to take a free knife from me, when you go about approaching these peoples, how do you, how do you these peoples, I don't talk that way. Sorry, guys. These people, how do you go about doing that? I mean, like, so, kind of how do you word your, your pitch to them? So
2: I've sent out, all right, so I've gotten ag- agreements from s- th- or four separate MMA fighters that all fight in the UFC, all ranked. And uh, two of them have gotten their knives. A third one, her knife is almost done. And a fourth one, I haven't started his knife yet. He's in Russia, so I don't even think I can get it to him at the moment. Um, Basically, I'm just honest with them. And I'm like, I'm a fan of yours. I watch MMA. I'm a huge fan of yours. I'd be honored if you were using one of my knives no strings attached. You don't have to shout me out. You know what I mean? I've only, So of the two that have the knives, I only got a shout-out from one of them. Um, the other one sent me a personalized note in the mail, um, which is cool. I'm going to frame it and put it in my shop. I don't even care. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? It's For me, with them, I'm a fan of theirs, so it's like I tell them, no strings attached. I don't expect you to shout me out. I don't expect anything out of this. I just want to know you have one of my knives. Um, And a few of them have responded. I've messaged shitloads of celebrities. If Jelly Roll, the rapper, looked in his (laughs) DMs and clicked on my name, there's probably eight of them in there of like, hey, man, hey, man, huge fan. You influence my art because, you know, you get into that flow state listening to music. Yeah, yeah, not just fighters. It just so happens that fighters – or it seem to be the only ones that actually respond to me, <laughs> but uh, I think that's probably because their their platform is different. You know what I mean, right? Um, but yeah, just, I'd message them and be like, "I'm a fan of yours. I live local to you. I'd be honored if you use one of my knives." Yeah. And he, from a marketing standpoint, like like Bryce Doug Nasty Mitchell has is a has the hunting knife even if he doesn't ever shout me out and nobody ever finds out who doesn't listen to this podcast or my close friends that I sent him a knife, the people around him are going to know that I sent him a knife. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some, somebody someday is going to be like, who made you that knife Bryce?" And he's going to be like, Oh, this guy, I don't even know in Maine. And <laughs> they'll be like, they'll look me up on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Right. Um, Actually, the first knife I sent out to USC fighter went to Max Payne Griffin, and he fights this weekend against Neil Magny, and he's going to fuck him up. Um, (laughs) So if you want to watch that, check in to ESPN. But,
0: no, it's awesome. Well, that's kind of cool for you, too, because you can say, like, hey, I made a knife. You know, Max Payne Griffin is using one of my blades. And you're not lying. You know what I mean? I could say that, you know, Trump's using one of my knives, but no, he's not. Well, Max you know what I mean? posted a video of him <laughs> using my knife. You know what I well, mean? Well, that's what and, I'm saying. It's like, you know, yeah. it's legit. You know that, you know, these people have your art in their hands.
2: Yeah. So. And, like, I'm a big fan of his, and um, he just, he's an awesome fighter, and he's an awesome dude. And I was like, dude, I'd love
0: for you to have one of my knives. And he's like, hell, yeah. He's like, I love to cook. Cool. Fair enough. Hell, yeah. That's awesome, dude. I'm gonna, I'm going to try well, it this evening. I'm going to reach out. Yep. I would, so I was a little tactical with it was
2: some of this. Cause like I would, I would comment on their stuff anyways, a lot. And when you comment on their stuff, if they respond to it, if they like your comment or they comment on your comment, which does happen, blue checks comment on us peasant stuff all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, um, <laughs> you know that if you have a higher chance if you send that person a message of them actually seeing it because a lot of these a lot of these celebrities don't even touch their social medias right they have you know people I mean? for that yeah they have a management team that handles their social media uh probably not just from a time restraint thing it's probably so they don't say anything stupid and get canceled you know what i mean yep um but yeah i mean it seems It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's paid off, but it works and it's cool. I feel good about it. You know what I mean? And and it gets me closer to my ultimate goal.
0: Rogan.
2: Rogan, which I've said a (laughs) hundred times. That's the top of the mountain for me. If Joe Rogan would ever want to buy one of my knives, that's the pinnacle of my knife making. That is the fucking goal. It's always been the goal. I love the art. I love doing it. I'm always going to do it. Even if he buys one, I'm not going to stop making knives. But for me, in my mind, that's what the goal is. You know, you got to set a goal. you got to set
0: something to reach for. Um, I want Snoop Dogg to wear one of my Mini Cleaver neck knives on stage while he's smoking a
1: doobie.
0: <laughs> you should make him a bowl knife. There you go. <laughs> yeah.
2: I think he smokes blunts, though, so you should make him a knife with a blunt. A blunt pokey on the bottom of it. I don't even know what so a blunt
0: pokey is. <laughs> you gotta,
2: when you roll a blunt, the weed sticks out the ends and you got to push it in. Oh, I didn't pack know Pack it in from each side. I use a blunt pokey. can say I've ever, ever rolled a blunt there. <laughs> yeah. You live in a different world than I do down here, up there. Yeah. Down here, yeah. up there, oh. up here, down there. Yeah,
0: there we go. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there you go. You got it that time. There we go. I have a the dumb. <laughs> the dumb. <laughs> Well, Richard, man, we appreciate you being on here with us today, man. It's been a fun episode. You guys want to keep trucking? You want to wrap it up or what? I don't even know what time it is. Uh, My wife's cooking dinner. It's 6.36. That gives me time. I told the world on my story last night. We'd have it out by 7 p.m. And if we call it now, I can do that. So Let's do it. All right, guys. Well, thank you all All for listening again. And unfortunately to our listeners, if you missed last week's episode, it's gone forever because when I upload this one, that one's going away. <laughs> and if you listen to it anyway, thanks for putting up with that. Fast forwarding through all that kind of good stuff. Richard, thank you so much for being on here with us. some people just
2: listen to me talk to myself for a half
0: hour. I had one message today. I did for a while. That said, uh, <laughs> oh, it was. It was Richard. He said, I feel like I'm eavesdropping on Ryan's phone call with you.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was sitting there eating my lunch, and I'm like, what? I kept hitting my phone thinking it was pausing. And then all of a sudden I realized, wait, this is only one side of the conversation. So, yeah, I was just eating, just letting it play.
0: Yeah. You realize how much Ryan says, yep.
1: <laughs> That's what, that was my tip. My tip off to realize it was a one-sided thing. Because I was like, oh, he's just responding to somebody. T-. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was me. Yeah. But anyway, this one went good. All my lights are still on and not on where they need to be. So, we're set. But, uh. Alright guys, we're going to wrap this thing up and we'll be coming to you in just a few minutes. We'll see you next week. I'm Jason Hartwell from JK Blades with Ryan Coakley from Ryan Chadbourne Knife Works and Richard Beck from Beck's Armory. And we will see you next week, guys. Till then, keep on hustling and keep on grinding.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that one's good. I like that one. I'm going to listen to it again in a half hour.
0: Me too. (laughs) I might wait till morning. I got shit to do.